for example, with CBT, we kind of look at it in a present way in terms of what are the presenting problems now. Um, and I suppose we can look at them in a way of how you are perceiving situations in terms of how you're thinking, how you're feeling, what you're noticing in your body, and I suppose what behaviours you're doing. And often when we map out that together, um, people can find that if you change one thing, that the rest of the components can alter a bit. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening everyone. You are listening to Don't Be Afraid to Talk podcast with James. If you are listening for the first time, you are welcome. Talking and listening is key for growth and I hope our stories will bring us together and we can draw inspiration from each other. Conversation will include topics such as mental and physical health, trauma and its effect, suicidal thoughts, recovery and well-being. We will continue to raise awareness and offer a different perspective a mindset or an idea that could inspire you to take charge of your well-being and to grow as a human being. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Ask the Therapist. Today I'm joined by Sharon who is here to answer some of the questions we have. If you are listening today, have an open mind, and we hope that you can learn something from this episode. Hi, Sharon. How are you? Hi, James. How are you? Great, great. I'm good now. (laughs) I'm good too. Thank you so much for asking me uh, to do this podcast with you. Thank you for coming on. Can you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Sharon Clarnan and um, I'm an accredited cognitive behavioural therapist and my background is mental health nursing. So I have over 19 years um, experience working with people who experience mental health problems and um, I suppose I have um, worked in a variety of mental health care settings from acute inpatient units to um, psychiatric intensive care units and all uh, different types of community jobs. And um, I have worked as a clinical nurse specialist in cognitive behavioral therapy. And an abbreviation of that is CBT, is short for cognitive behavioral therapy. So um, in all of that, I have taken a career break recently and to concentrate on my own private practice um, mm. where I do CBT. So I'm based in Kentork, County Cork, um, a rural part of Ireland. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm in private practice almost six years now, but I was doing it part time up until September and I'm doing it full time now. Um, so I see people face-to-face and online, um, where I provide therapy for people who would experience uh, depression, all types of anxiety disorders um, or anxiety in general. Um, So for people who would experience panic attacks, um, obsessive compulsive disorder, in short OCD, um, generalized anxiety disorder, another name for that would be worry, basically. Yeah. (laughs) 
um, social anxiety, panic attacks, um, people who experience low self-esteem, health anxiety, um, depression, um, people who experience PTSD, all different types of mental health problems. So CBT is really, really effective treatment for lots of different mental health problems. Yeah. Um, very passionate about my job and I'm very passionate about mental health so I love talking about these two things so thank you for thank you. um me. you'll be doing most of the talking anyway so that's good <laughs> <laughs> um before we get going we're just going to play a quick game so the way it works is I'll give you a word and you say the first one that comes to your mind oh okay <laughs> okay the first one is practice. Private. Trouble. Mental health. Human. Being. Miracle. Uh, made. Made? <laughs> made miracle, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is that a movie? <laughs> Could be. Yeah. Uh, we Google it after. Uh, safety. Ness. Sweet. That's it. It's five words. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I, have a, I have a visitor here. Yeah. Um, do you want to say hi? He wants to say hello. He, he's loving Instagram these days. He was on Instagram yesterday as well. Yeah, just <laughs> saying hello to everyone on it. <laughs> hi. Hello. <laughs> I don't know how he got out here. Um, yeah, we'll have to look up why mage came to my head. So, what was the reason for that? Oh, it's just, it, I just call it an icebreaker, just to catch you off guard. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, to disturb your thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely got me thinking, anyway. <laughs> um, James, just two seconds, I'm just going to see where, because I won't be able to talk to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just seeing where his daddy has gone. My first question is, hi, Sharon, what is CBT? So CBT is um, cognitive behavioral therapy. And what that means is um, it's a talking therapy where it's very much kind of two way um, in the sense of we look or I look at um, how people are thinking, um, how they are feeling and what they are doing. So really in short is how we think and feel or what we think and do can affect the way we feel for example with cbt we kind mm. of look at it in a present way in terms of what are the presenting problems now um and i suppose we can look at them in a way of how you are perceiving situations in terms of how you're thinking how you're feeling what you're noticing in your yeah. body and I suppose what behaviors you're doing. And often when we map out that together, um, people can find that if you change one thing, that the rest of the components can alter a bit. Um, and I suppose for people who come to me, mm. a lot of the time they may be behaving in ways that they're doing to control the problem. So for example, someone who would come to me who's experiencing panic attacks, so they might be avoiding situations because of their panic. And in the short term, that really help their anxiety because anxiety reduces mm. if you're avoiding 
but long term then it can really affect the person's quality of life because I suppose long term they'll never learn that well if I go into this situation um I I you know I might cope with my anxiety a bit so I suppose really CBT is about kind of finding out what's keeping the person stuck um, and what's maintaining their problems and yeah. a lot of the time that can be with the way that they're thinking or the way that they're behaving so I help people understand that in terms of yeah, the cognitive yeah. part is how we think or how we how we see things and how we um in essence is our, our thoughts it's a posh word for thoughts and our behaviors then is how we behave really the treatment for that is that easier to measure on the short term if you're kind of helping person understand their th- they thinking? So I suppose short term, it's a short term therapy. Yeah. Like in, in the sense okay. of, you know, you'd say it's short term, it's time limited. It's very much problem focused and goal orientated and solution focused, you know, and I suppose it's really about kind of being realistic with the solutions with the person as well. Um, very much yeah, a collaborative course, yeah. approach. You know, we work together. You know, I'm not here to tell the person what to do. We decide together what's the best way forward. Um, and with that, then a yeah. big part of CBT treatment is that there's work in between our sessions. So um, I like to say work in between our sessions. In CBT, um, a lot of the time it's called homework. Um, I didn't like, I yeah. didn't like homework, <laughs> so I call it work in between sessions usually. Um, and I suppose really like for the therapy to be effective, the person really does need to do that work in between the sessions. And if the work isn't done, you know, the majority of the time, the therapy won't mm. work because that's the most, like one hour a week mm. with someone isn't going to change behaviors. You know, a lot of the time the no. person has to experience it to learn it. And then that really kind of gives the the moment of, okay, this really is helping me. Yeah, suppose you can't just rely on that one session a week and then not do the homework and come back and be like <laughs> a month later, like, why is this not changing? Because you're not doing the work. Yeah. And like, that can be the hardest part. Like often people would say to me, oh, thank you so much. And I'm like, actually, you're the one that did the hard work because I'm beside <laughs> them and to support my clients and to, I suppose, in lots of ways, it's about giving the person skills to become their own therapist. Uh, yeah. And you know that they can revisit that whenever they need to. So I always tell my clients to get a little folder for themselves and keep all their CBT techniques in that folder where they can revisit it at any stage when they notice that maybe their mental health is deteriorating in any way. Yeah. Because these yeah. are skills that any of us can use and we all need skills to help us, don't we? Mm, definitely. Definitely with our minds because it's... Uh... Yeah, it's a tricky thing. <laughs> it yeah. goes it goes its own way if you don't learn to observe it or control the thoughts. It can take you, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that, that's just it, James. You're, you, you hit the nail on the head there in terms of it's about learning different ways of coping. And I mm. suppose that's what CBT does as well. Like I suppose our brain is very flexible in terms of it's a muscle and CBT is about kind of learning different ways of coping and more helpful ways of coping in order for our brain to kind of process that and then hopefully 
it would automatically go to better stress management or anxiety management techniques mm. rather than the avoidance. Yeah, yeah. Great, great. My next question is, sorry. And hi, hi, Sharon. How do you tell the difference between mental health issue and something that's just a unique personality? Okay. So what I would say to that is, you know, a mental health issue is how we think and feel and how we behave. Um, and for that to be um, a mental health issue, it has to really affect the person's life in terms of increased anxiety or impacting on their functioning or and their daily living or relationships and really like you know affecting you know their life whereas Mm. a a personality is a lot different isn't it yeah it's yeah it's more of a a character yeah it might be a mental health problem like i suppose at the end of the day each and every one of us have mental health. Oh, and, yes. You know, I think that can be really, like, I I suppose, dismissed in lots of ways um, because of the stigma attached to mental health problems. Mm. But as we look at it, that we all have mental health and we all have personality, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have a diagnosis of mental health problems. But our mental health can be affected in lots of ways at any moment throughout the day. For example, we might experience stress, which can affect our mental health, you know, but it doesn't mean that we have a mental health problem or diagnosis, but Mm. we all experience some types of mental health um, issues. It doesn't mean that it's a diagnosis. Does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah. So if it starts to impact your day-to-day on a severe way, that's when it's leading towards a problem. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> My next question is, hi, Sharon. How, how do you know whether you have anxiety problem or if you're just feeling anxious about something at the moment? Okay. So I suppose each and every one of us experience anxiety because anxiety is a human emotion. And... Um, and I suppose some people would describe anxiety like butterflies in your belly or, um, you know, a knot in your stomach, which may cause mm. anxiety. And that's the bodily sensation of when we may notice the feeling of anxiety. So a little bit of anxiety can be good for us because it can drive us on. It can get stuff done. Like, for example, if we're doing an exam or we're doing some type of a test, we might have a little bit of anxiety that might drive us on to study a little bit more. Mm. Too much of it or too much of it that's overwhelming, people may avoid or like that leave situations or um, may engage in certain behaviours in order to prevent the anxiety getting very overwhelming. And these behaviours might be unhelpful in the long term. Like I said about the mm. panic, reduce it short term, but long term not. And I suppose when anxiety becomes a problem for somebody, they may notice that they're avoiding situations that they actually want to go to, but it's their anxieties that's preventing them from doing these things. Um, versus mild anxiety symptoms where we'll do it, you know, and it's not causing us ongoing um, anxiety problems. Mm, that mm. Yeah, yeah. So the say big anxiety (laughs) it's where you you want to 
do something, but you don't want to do it. You want to do it, but your body's like, no, we're not doing that. Or you're, yeah. So your anxiety is basically telling you you're not doing it. So like in CBT treatment, we kind of want to say, actually, you know, this is the anxiety telling me not, not to do this, but I can do it. So anxiety doesn't want people to do things if it's very overwhelming. So mm. she's going to tell you not to do it. But in actual fact, you know, with anxiety, anxiety is a really intense emotion. But I suppose with CBT treatment, part of it would be exposure work. And what that would mean, it's about kind of learning that our anxiety will go down. Mm. But sometimes we do have to sit with that discomfort in order to learn that our anxiety will go down. But obviously, there's a process behind that. Yeah, so yeah. If someone's coming to me that has really overwhelming anxiety, I'm not going to straight away say to them, sit with that now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, feel what you're feeling. <laughs> yeah, that's a big ask, isn't it? If you just meet somebody and, and tell them that. Yeah, they I won't come back. <laughs> no, they won't. No. And I suppose, do you know, at the very start, you asked me what CBT is. And I suppose a big part of it, yeah, there's mm. an assessment part, but there's a relationship building part. And that's so, so important for um, any therapist to have with their client. Because I suppose when we build the relationship, trust is there as well. Mm. We get to the exposure part of therapy. I suppose, first of all, we need to map out and understand and that's the thought process of it all, of what is happening for that person when they feel anxious. And then we get to the stage of exposure work, which I love to get to, because that's where the person, le- they learn that anxiety will go down, you know, mm. once I stay with it. But again, it's a process. Yeah. And would some, of that, would some of that process involve, like, disturbing, like, if you, if you feel it coming on, changing a thought straight away to reduce the to reduce the emotions so we like think of something that will help you reduce the emotion like when i was feeling before we started i was feeling <laughs> very anxious <laughs> so is it a case of me learning how to think of something else that will disturb the emotions that's coming up yeah, so we have to be careful with that, right? Because, like, I suppose when we when we experience anxiety, or or when people let let's is it okay to talk about your situation, James? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, just looking at that, right? So, as you said, you felt really anxious before we got going. Yeah. As you said, then once I get going, I'll be grand. Mm. So I suppose. What you're saying there then is about changing the thinking. But we have to be careful, is that kind of a safety behavior in the sense of, you know, is that a way of bringing down my anxiety? I suppose the way that we're working or the way that you're working, you're doing it more behaviorally in the sense of, you know, you're keeping on going with these podcasts despite the anxious feelings that you have. And I'm wondering, even to ask you now, what are you learning from that? When you get going, what happens to your anxiety? Oh, like 
once we do the initial part, after that, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just the, the first minute, it's when, yeah, my mind's running somewhere else and my body's still sitting here. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Stop doing that. But yeah, after a couple of seconds, then I'm just like, now I'm cool. <laughs> yeah. So what that means is it's a, a, a term called habituation. So what you're doing is you're actually sitting with your anxiety and your anxiety is going down. So you're staying with it. So what that means in a way is you're getting used to feeling it. And the more you do of it, which you are doing and you're doing so, so well, by the way, you know, the more you do of this, the more that you'll get used to doing it. I suppose, do you know, when you asked about the thought, yeah. you know, change thought, well, one technique I would suggest maybe might be helpful for people is, you know, grounding yourself to the present. Do you know the way you were saying your mind goes off and, and, and that might create the anxiety then yeah. if that does happen for people with racing thoughts or, or, or overthinking. So like what can be really helpful is to ground yourself, the here and now. And, and, and I would strongly suggest as well, um, 7-Eleven breathing or some type of breathing technique where the outbreath is a bit longer because that's what brings down our, our blood pressure. Mm, and mm. that's actually on my Instagram page if anyone wants to look at that under stress management. But I think that would be really helpful for for all of us when we get anxious. And the beauty about it is we can do it anywhere. Yes, and, yes, you can. Yeah. You know, it's about kind of keeping going and that's what you're doing. And that's what I was saying to you at the start. Well done. <laughs> because I know it's not easy to get going and keep going. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll get better at it. Yeah. <laughs> you're doing it. You're not even yeah. trying. You're doing yeah. it and well done. Um, My next question is, sorry, where are you? Question four. Okay, yeah, sorry. Okay, question four. Hi, Sharon. Why is it that I have a feeling of suddenly wanting to cry, even though my day isn't necessarily good or bad? So I suppose this is really hard, um, hard situation for that person. Um, and it's hard for me to answer that question because I it, mm. that may be down to a number of factors. Um, okay. Where, you know, there could be different emotions coming up for that person or different thoughts. Um, you know, I suppose it depends and really... For that person, um, I would suggest to seek professional advice and support either from their GP or a mm. therapist or some mental health professional that they can reach out to um, for more understanding about that. Yeah, yeah. So you, you could be having a good or bad day, but something is triggering yeah. that emotion to cry. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. So I think yeah. if anyone's struggling yeah, like that, it would be really important for them to reach out because that's experiencing yeah. up and down emotions and, um, you know, to be so tearful, you know, that mm. that must be a difficult situation. So I would strongly suggest to reach out for some help and support there from a professional. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, my next question is, hi, Sharon, what is the relationship between ruminating on the past event and anxiety are those two connecting okay so i suppose rumination um is a thought process which um i suppose is all about the past so it's thinking about 
things that weren't so good to us in the past in terms of um, situations that we would have experienced. And we may think about them a lot, um, Mm. which can lead to us having a lot of maybe perhaps regret or shame um, about situations that we have experienced, which may lead to thinking, um, you know, if I did this, well, then my life would be different or, you know, things that we can't change because it has happened in the past. But a lot of the time that thought process um, is a behavior that people can engage in as well. So lots of times people can engage in rumination um, in order to try and solve problems. But in actual fact, it nearly creates them because we can't change the past. But it's a behavior that can lead to people becoming very sad. And a lot of the time, Mm. it can be a maintainer for depression. Um, And people can automatically go into the thought of rumination um, just automatically because that's the thought process. That versus anxiety. So anxiety is an emotion that usually occurs when we're worried. So worry is similar to rumination in terms of that's a thought process too. Um, but usually worry can lead to us feeling increased anxiety. So worry is all about the future. What if this happens? What if that happens? And it's mm. usually the worst situation we're thinking is going to happen or the worst. Yeah. So they are similar. But rumination is usually leads to people to being depressed and it can create anxiety as well. But worry is the main one for anxiety because it's all about the future and future focused. Mm. So we, with the two of them ruminating, obviously when, when you're doing it, there's no, uh, there's no end. Like you're just constantly running your mind through an old tape. <laughs> you're like, you're just replaying those scenario over and over again and what worry you could stop worrying because you well if you know how to stop worrying because the event in the future hasn't happened yet Mm. yeah well with rumination is that you can stop that too so i suppose again it's a behavior and it can become a habit um for people and and it's nobody's fault that they're engaging in these behaviors because these are ways that people can cope um, in order to manage whatever mental health situation they're experiencing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I suppose lots of people who would come to me may not be aware that they're ruminating and they could be all day ruminating, um, which is maintaining their, their emotional problems. So I suppose in a way it can be stopped, it can be changed, it can be the behavior can be, or the habit can be broken. Um, with worry, again, it's a habit that people can engage in um, and it's a behavior in order that people can do in order to cope. And again, that can be broken. Like both of these symptoms are very, very treatable with CBT. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just about, and I suppose that's where it comes in with the assessment of CBT, like formulating with people. Like there's all different models of treatment for um with CBT treatment, like for worry. And I know there's a question there, James, about generalized anxiety disorder. Like mm. generalized anxiety disorder is basically someone who's experiencing excessive or constant worry um with the past six months. 
with other with more than six months, six months or more. Yeah. Um, with symptoms then such as maybe poor concentration, physical tension, exhausted, feeling tired, fatigue. Um, they're the main symptoms, restlessness. They're the main kind of symptoms attached with um, worry. And I suppose the diagnosis um, or the label, well, some people don't like diagnosis or labels, but I suppose, yeah. <laughs> you know, some people don't. And I always ask people that actually, um, you know, because some people love it then because they know what's wrong with them. It can be so reassuring that this is something that other people have. Do you know, so it's interesting. Everyone's so individual. Um, but mm. the term for it anyway is generalized anxiety disorder. And that can be abbreviated um, as GAD. Yeah. Um, and I suppose in a nutshell, that's what that that's the criteria that I would come under to treat that uh, type of problem. Yeah, yeah. And with, this is not one of the questions, with labels, do you find that once there's a label on something, person feels better? As in like, okay, this is what I have. At least they know what it is. Lots of and people other, yeah. And other people would be like, no, why are you giving me labels for? Because some people don't like labels. yeah. You know what? The majority of people that I would see actually feel reassured that, oh my God, this is, this is something. Or some people would say, geez, this is like it was written about me if I'm giving them information. Because <laughs> a lot yeah. of the time it's about learning about the problem at the start of CBT treatment. It would yeah. be about, you know, we'll say, let's just say someone comes to me and they're, they're fulfilling the criteria. Um, for generalized anxiety disorder and I would give them information on that to read and lots of the time people would come back and say Jesus that was like it was um, written about me. yeah it's like that's me <laughs> yeah that can be really reassuring for people um, and I suppose like I would have like there's all different models of treatment so I would base treatment based on whether that person is happy for us to go ahead with treatment for whatever the problem is yeah. For people who don't like a label, that's okay too. I'm not, you know, that is totally fine. Everyone's individual. And then we go with, well, what would you like to name it? <laughs> yeah. And that's fine. You know, it has to be collaborative because what I would say to people actually is, you know, I can tell you my professional opinion are under a criteria of what I think you're experiencing. But I always give the person the information going away and ask them to read it and you come back and you tell me does this fit you and we'll go on with treatment then because really mm. you know it's a collaborative approach and like there's no point in me thinking something and the other person thinking something else terrible yeah. work then so it's very no. very open and honest and that builds our relationship then together as well mm. yeah that's important that's very important uh, my next question is ooh, I'm going to skip two questions because I added something else at the end that I forgot to send you but it's not a question it's just me being nosy <laughs> yeah um, okay I'll go to question seven so hi Sharon is social anxiety disorder the same as social phobia yes yeah they mean okay. the same thing yeah this different scientific word and <laughs> yeah do you know um i suppose 
social anxiety and social phobia they they come under the same thing in terms of treatment okay um a lot of the time again it's about learning what it is um education around it um through therapy treatment as well mapping it out with the person you know what what what's your thoughts in a social situation what you perceive as threatening in that situation and then a lot of it is you know what you focus on what are you self-conscious of in that situation and a lot of the time people who have social anxiety or social phobia would say that i'm being judged by others or i believe i'm being judged by others yeah or others are thinking negatively of me and mm. because of that then people can focus on how they're coming across to other people and um, and you know because of that then it can create more anxiety because if i'm focused mm. on how i'm coming across well then I, I can't engage in everything in terms of a conversation and how i'm coming across and focus on us talking to one another so there's a lot going on for people who experience social anxiety or social phobia um in the sense of we have the anxiety symptoms of maybe heart beating faster um maybe possibly shaking mind going blank is a very common one for people who is socially anxious yeah um and then i suppose people can engage in behaviors then to try and prevent all of that um some of which might be avoidance leaving situations scanning for exits how do i get out of here <laughs> yeah <laughs> and not maintaining eye contact or you know like um a big one then would be maybe changing focus or direction of conversation back to you like asking you lots of questions rather than the the limelight being on that person who is feeling really socially anxious so they're just common symptoms that people would experience because of social anxiety but it's so treatable with CBT and I, I actually treat lots of people who experience social anxiety and, and it's so rewarding seeing people get better. It's, it's yeah. the best part of my job. I love it. Great. When we're talking about labels, if I had one of them, I think I prefer to use the word phobia. <laughs> I don't know. I just think it sounds... Hey. I think if I see it as a phobia, I can disidentify with it in a terms like this is what i have it's not what i am mm, mm. Mm. so that that would be your interpretation of it then james yeah yeah that's what i would think of it as yeah, yeah. <laughs> and again it goes back to whatever works for each of us because we're all different aren't we and it's whatever yeah. works for us and what we're comfortable with yeah yeah at, at the end of the day who cares what it is once we can we know what it is and it's treatable Mm, I think that's the, yeah, no one should care what it is, but we seem to care a lot what people think. <laughs> that doesn't help either. Okay, my next question is, sorry. Hi, Sharon. Do the obsession with OCD lead to aggressive behavior? Um, I suppose this is, do you mean aggression and obsessive compulsive disorder? Um, aggression behavior, like if, if I'm experienced, if I have OCD, can that lead to me becoming violent? Okay, so I suppose with that, um, I suppose I, I, I would say that with OCD, people can experience intrusive thoughts. Um, and sometimes these can be thoughts about the fear of becoming violent. 
it doesn't necessarily mean that the person will become violent. Um, You're just yeah, thinking about it. Um, <laughs> they're called intrusive thoughts or obsessions. And unfortunately, yeah. they can create a lot of anxiety for people. Um, but a lot of the time, people who experience OCD um, or obsessional thoughts, they're the worst feared situations that they think that could happen. So, for example, people might experience intrusive thoughts of what if I become violent? And it can be more of a worry rather than it's actually going to happen. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So it's more, it's more worrying about what you could do, but you're necessarily not going to do it. You just... Yeah, so I suppose about, yeah. in a way, one way of looking at it could be is OCD says I'm going to become violent versus my OCD is worry that I become violent. So we have two ways of looking at it. It doesn't necessarily okay. mean that it's going yeah. to happen. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, I don't know why I get somebody's questions, but... Um... My next one is in relation to OCD as well. Hi, Sharon. How long does it take to be able to manage OCD? Again, that would, again, depend on the person, whatever therapy mm. they're going for. Um, if it is CBT, again, you know, it de- it all depends on the person and how much of a problem the person has with their OCD. So again, that would yeah. have to be assessed. Yeah. Um, it would be very unfair of me to say like 10 sessions and that's your OCD. You know, um, unfortunately, (laughs) it doesn't work like that. Um, Because I suppose at the end of the day, no matter what, emotional problems take a lot, lot longer than any physical problem that we have. So, for example, um, and what I mean by that is if I have a broken arm, Usually it's six to eight weeks and um, my arm is mended. You know, I've had cast possibly physio and, you know, usually okay. Mm. Versus emotional problems, they can take a lot, lot longer than that. And unfortunately, they're hidden. So, um, mm. you know, it's it's very hard to say. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I totally understand. Yeah. Emotional problems seem to... Because <laughs> you can just sit at home and create a problem in your head. That's what's... Scary part about it. Can it all become that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sitting down, sitting down, watching TV and just creating scenarios yeah. in your mind. My next question is: uh, Hi, Sharon. How should parents help their children cope with fears of anxiety? So I suppose you know. I suppose it's about kind of checking in with them. What's causing the anxiety? What's the situation around that? And I suppose like maybe doing some breathing exercises with them, teaching them some grounding skills in terms of being present. Um, and I suppose just being there to support them really, you know, talking alone can be very therapeutic for us and it can be underestimated sometimes. So I suppose with that, they're kind of the things that I would suggest in a very short um, nutshell of what I think would help um, children with anxieties. But again, what I would suggest is if you are worried or need help just to reach out to your GP or there's play therapists or there's other professionals there that can help children 
um, and just don't feel that you're on your own doing these things because there's always help and support there. Yeah, yeah. Suppose for children, it's for parents, it's difficult because you always you kind of want to take this stress away, but you can't. Yeah, yeah, it is difficult, definitely. Yeah, so it's a case of well, you're learning a bit about it yourself, and then helping them to manage it. Yeah. yeah, a lot of the time it's nearly trying to understand it with them. You know, what mm. is happening, what is triggering. What I find um, actually with my own kids now, um, I'd ask them, you know, what what are you thinking and what are you feeling? It's lovely when they're able to connect. Like I did it now with my six-year-old um, a couple of weeks ago. You know, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? What do you notice in your mm. body? And what are your behaviours? And it's lovely if they're able to connect them. Because if they're able to yes. connect them, well, then you have some chance to see, okay, what could we do differently then to help? So I suppose that's really kind of a CBT format of looking at things. But children are well able to do that. And if they're not mm. even to pull out a chart of, you know, different smiley faces, different emojis, do you know the way that they can access their emotions through visual stuff? That's yeah. quite powerful as well. And they can point out like, <laughs> how do you feel like is it the red it? Yeah, yeah 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 like a happy face or an angry face and you know what are you thinking when you're feeling that way you know mm. and just for them to kind of I suppose to check in on what their thoughts are and what their feelings are and it can be a good way of kind of educating them about their mental health really yeah yeah so it's more around asking them the what questions so they can kind of put put their own names to it <laughs> what it is the feeling yeah 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 exactly yeah exactly I, I, instead of you telling them this is what you're feeling <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 that's that's yeah. really important actually um that is for them to tell you sometimes we can put it into their own you know you, you know are you feeling or are you feeling this way and kind of naming it for them which sometimes maybe we need to do um mm. like a lot of the time like i'm not specialized with children in terms of mental health work now but i just <laughs> own. i'm specialized with four boys um but i kind of find sometimes i'd say you look sad so what's making you feel sad okay so again it's kind of showing them what the emotion is of what they look like a lot of the time we can see it you know that kind of way yeah totally yeah yeah getting the mind thinking yeah super super my next question is, hi Sharon, if someone's suffering from PTSD, what kind of help is available? Okay, so PTSD is very, um, CBT treatment is very effective with PTSD. Um, a lot of the time, um, I suppose I can just speak from a CBT point of view here. Again, it would be an assessment um, to see if the person has the symptoms to fulfill the criteria for PTSD. Um, I suppose for anyone that doesn't know what PTSD means, it's post-traumatic stress disorder that people can experience after a traumatic event. Um, so a lot of the time that uh, people would come to me, it would be about giving them information about what PTSD is. And then it would be like formulating what their symptoms are to make sense of it with them. Um, mm. And then what would be involved in that then is exposing um they're i suppose in a way bringing up the traumatic memories that they would have experienced with them so it's kind of exposing 
their um, memory um, to the trauma again in order for them to make sense of what happened. And a lot of that would be through exposure work um, with CBT treatment. Mm. Yeah, it's something that, well, I'm only familiar with it in terms of people that come back from war. A lot of them seem to be diagnosed with PTSD. Yeah, yeah. It can be really, really common for um, people who worked in the defense forces. Yeah, and it's that tricky because obviously the memories are still in their minds, whatever happened. So it's that very tricky one to treat, to help someone to understand like the, that the event, is, it's happened and it's like gone, if you like, but it still plays in their mind. So would that be a tricky one to try and get them to see that? Mm. So I suppose in a way, like the way we could look at it is like all these memories are like a messed up cupboard. So like they're not processed um, in a way of, I suppose, what they they could be like a lot of the time you know people can look at what could have happened um but in actual fact you know they're still here and you know they can forget that part but that's like looking at the memories it's about kind of bringing them up and making sense of them and seeing what is creating that anxiety or intense emotion um during whatever event happened mm. and I suppose me that's like processing the memory in a way of like it's like folding up all the messy cupboard and yeah. <laughs> processing the memories and putting them back into a nice neat cupboard. It's not easy. There's no point in saying this work is easy because it's not. Mm. Um, but I suppose that's where my job is to support that person through a therapeutic environment and um, and to go through all these, um, I suppose, memories that maybe they've blocked out for a very long time. But unfortunately, um, symptoms can come up for them in terms of flashbacks, nightmares, being hypervigilant around um, certain situations um, that is creating that anxiety. Lots of people would avoid or maybe avoid um, how they are experiencing yeah. these trauma memories. So I suppose my job with that is about kind of trying to help them process that memory in a, in, a, in another way. Mm, mm. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. I'm just kind of imagining things in my head. What you're talking about a messy cupboard. I was like, okay, rearrange that. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, the next two questions was the two that I was going to leave out because I wanted to ask you about the work were you doing with the schools? Yeah, so... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. let's talk about that. So how's that getting... <laughs> so what is the first, sorry, so for someone? Yeah, what is the first? Okay. Um, and, you know, I never said that in my introduction. It, it's actually, fine. So thank it's you fine. for asking that question. <laughs> so that's a new part um, of my business that I've expanded on is doing mental health workshops with secondary schools. And I'm actually doing it with other organizations now as well in the yeah. local area. Um, and what it involves is teaching students about mental health, what mental health is. Um, and I suppose I have a workshop actually tomorrow as well. Um, lots of schools have reached out and it's been so, so effective um, in terms of like, I suppose I focused on stress and anxiety 
um, for students um, because I suppose that's a big thing, isn't that's it? That's what they, most of them will be suffering with, yeah. Yeah, we can relate it because we can all experience stress and anxiety mm. for different reasons. Um, so I suppose a lot of it is about education around that. And then um, I teach them coping skills and how to manage that. Um, and then we actually do a case study um, at the end of it then where the students can see. It's one of my friends, actually. Um, we did a, a scenario for me. She's <laughs> one of my actors. Um, and, you know, she did really well because a lot of the students really connect with what mm. she was experiencing. Thing. So it was about doing exams and having stress and anxiety around that. And the students really engage in that part of it because they can really, I suppose, relate to it. Yes, definitely. Um, definitely, yeah. And that's where you can really see where they can connect what a thought and a feeling and her behaviours and the, and how they're all connected and how our body responds to stress and anxiety. And with that then, you know, it's a really good way of creating awareness for the students definitely um, yeah what behaviors now would help them rather than maybe procrastinating which a lot of them would identify with which we could all identify with i'm sure yeah you know um rather than putting study off what could i do differently that's it so, that's it especially for children would have like say exams coming up you know like yeah. that's stress is like <laughs> over the yeah. roof so Definitely. like teaching them how to bring it back down like we didn't have that when I was going to school how did you end up doing that <laughs> so I suppose a few years ago I would have worked when I worked in the HSE I would have done workshops with third level um, students in UCC mm. um, teaching them about mental health and um, mental fitness and I really loved that part of my job and from that then, um, I also uh, developed um, a module on understanding mental health for mm. VTAC Level 5. And I tutored um, a module in that for uh, a number of months. And I loved the teaching part. And I was like, God, you know, I really want to get into this because I love mm. that part equally as I love uh, one-to-one therapy. Yeah. So uh, it was actually a teacher uh, contacted me to see if I do a workshop with her students and then I was like oh my gosh this is brilliant because this is what I really really want to do yeah then I put it out there on Instagram and you know I've had a good few schools contact me off their own back actually mm. I, I haven't had a chance to advertise it myself <laughs> outside of Instagram yet um, because I've just been so busy um, so it's kind of developed on from there. I've actually workshops booked in now for 2022. So it's brilliant. You know, the schools. Are- it is. It's definitely what kids need to learn in school. One of the main things they need to learn because it's you can't escape stress or anxiety. You know, you, you leave school with it. But if you get those tools early, uh, it can help you like in a major way. <laughs> Oh, big time, big time. And like you said there, James, I definitely didn't know or what stress or anxiety was when I was in school. I wasn't taught it. I wasn't taught yeah. about thoughts or feelings or anything like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, like feelings. What? <laughs> yeah, what are they? Um, but, you know, it's lovely that I think it's lovely that the schools are acknowledging it mm. and the teachers 
they're reaching out and they're seeing that students are struggling um you know so it's great I, I love it and I love being able to offer that service you know to schools and to other organizations as well so yeah it's great. yeah no it's great I really yeah that's really good because if anything they need in schools <laughs> less stress Definitely. yeah yeah less stress. yeah <laughs> especially if you're doing your leaving cert <laughs> yeah definitely yeah. definitely yeah you know and uh, this is not a question of the what I have here, but uh, what do you like to do for fun? <laughs> <laughs> What's that? <laughs> no, what do I do for fun? Um, mm. I love my children are trying to break in there now again. Um, <laughs> I I love I love spending time with my kids, like proper time. Yeah. And mm. I, I, I find that really fun and it's, it's funny, you know, to, to even watch them and see their conversations and stuff like that. Um, I also, um, I better mention my husband. Um, <laughs> um, we rarely get time alone, um, but when we do, we really enjoy, you know, having that, that fun and family, you know, being around family, mm. having fun time with them. Um, and friends love the crack. I love going out. I love socializing <laughs> and, you know, um, having a few drinks and dinner, um, and chats with my friends. Love all that. Yeah. So, uh, love the bit of crack. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. That, that's all my questions I had for today. <laughs> brilliant, Jim. That's Thank all my questions. You. But, um. No, thank you. Thank you. Your, your children trying to break into the door. They're like, what's going I on? Know, I know. <laughs> they're, they're training. They're, they're having breaks in and out of the car there. Um, there's one of them out training. Um, thanks a million yeah. for having me on. Is there anything you want to ask me now? Um, I'm trying to think. Do I have any more questions? Yes, I do. I do. This is in relation to trauma now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah you know the way your mind blocks off certain emotional event that you would experience in your childhood so is it necessary to call back is it possible to call back those blocked emotions you know if someone's trying to heal from trauma mm -hmm. so is it necessary to call them events back for your healing or can you just start your healing where you are and go forward I think it depends. I think it depends on whether you can move forward or do you need to go back to process it. Um, for okay. some people, they may need to go back. They may need to process what has happened in their past. Um, like, as I said at the start, like CBT is very present focused, but we do go back in therapy to make sense of what may be happening for this person right now. Um, mm. And I suppose with that, like, you know, if you do need to go back and make sense of it um, in a more in-depth way, well, then maybe exposure to that trauma memory needs to happen or what may need to happen is a different type of therapy approach might be more suitable where the person has to go back to the family systems of childhood. Um, so that would be more for an integrative um, psychotherapist that may delve more into that kind of um, a system where I wouldn't be trained in that area now. 
Um, mm. But if that needs to happen, it's that type of work. If it's a thing that the person is blocking out but wants to move forward and doesn't see that they need to go back, well, then I suppose it depends on what you want to do moving forward, if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 it does, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, I'm obsessed with all things trauma these days, so. <laughs> that makes sense, though. Yeah, yeah it, it does, it does. If you, you don't necessarily have to go back, but if you feel like you need to, you can. It, it will take a lot more work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you, if you want to feel those emotions again. Yeah, like you would be looking at more long-term work. You know, I suppose, like, mm. if there's a lot of trauma in the person's childhood, like CBT mightn't be the best approach for that person initially, you know, mm. maybe more of an integrative psychotherapy approach um, where the person has to deal with that trauma before becoming more present with their problems um, to move forward. But again, it's the assessment part of, of we'll say for me, in CBT to make that call with the person. It's very hard mm. to say... Mm. You know, just like that. Um, but <laughs> at the same time, that would be my professional opinion on it, though. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Thank you very much. I'm going to stop the recording. <laughs> <laughs>